The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to episode 68 of Know the Score. I'm your host for today's show, Don DeLorente. And I'll just let you know that Know the Score can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever podcasts can be downloaded and subscribed to. Again, you can find us on our main site at www.cspn.us as well. I'm here with today's guest. You might know him from the Rampant Black Neckery tweets if you follow us on Twitter. It's none other than Front Row Kenny. What's going on, Kenny? Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, man, I'm good. Glad to have you today on Another Score. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Good. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving and had lots of turkey and all the other sides that go along with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Good Thanksgiving. Good times with the family and football, man. My Cowboys won. I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So we'll jump right into it. As the game started out, uh, in the first um, game, we had the Lions as out the Vikings, 16-13. Sam Bradford with a crushing interception with less than a minute to go. Um, gets returned down to the 30-yard line, sets up a 40-yard field goal for Matt Prater. And the Lions continue their unprecedented streak of having nothing but come from behind the victories all season and are the leaders of the NFC Central. So, Kenny, I just want to get your um, thoughts on this game. I know this is a game most people watch while the dinner is getting prepared, or some people like me <laughs> may be lucky enough where dinner was served at halftime of this game. So uh, what were your takeaways from watching the Lions and the Vikings? And, you know, my dinner was served at halftime, actually, so that was perfect timing. But, hey, listen, I know everybody that saw the game from the jump uh, with Aretha Franklin and her national anthem, man, you could have cooked. You could have went to your grandma's house. You could have came back and still made it on time to get ready for this game. Like, it, it was um, it was an okay game. It wasn't anything I was really looking forward to because I was just ready for the Cowboys game. The only player I was really watching was a cousin of mine, um, Anthony Harris. He's a free safety, so – that was really my big take and my big watch of the whole game. I wasn't really, you know, too into it. Did you really uh, enjoy it? Did you enjoy it if you watched it a lot? Uh, actually, uh, after halftime, we kind of turned away from the third quarter because my mom was like, this isn't even the game you want to watch. Can we watch the Grizzlies <laughs> Marathon, please? And I was like, yeah, okay, we can watch a couple ones. And then we turned back for the fourth quarter, and I got to see the the ending. Yeah, and I, I couldn't believe the ending when he threw that – when Sam Bradford threw that pick. I was like, man – they could have just took it into overtime, but then things just went crisscross. And I was like, wow. I'm like, the Detroit Lions, like someone said on Twitter, the Detroit Lions might be that team that everybody's laughing at right now, the way they won, but they might end up beating your team by a field goal at the end of the game in the playoffs if they make it still. Which seems pretty possible because the NFC North just is an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> right. As, I, as I'm old school, I think I called it the Central. It'll always be the Central. They just don't have Green Bay in it anymore. I mean, Tampa Bay, excuse me, in it anymore like they used to back in the day. But, yeah, this was a, um, just another uh, downfall for the Vikings. Uh, they're trying to find some offense. Um, they're, you know, trying to be aggressive and, and win a game that they pretty much dominated for most of the game. But, of course, you know, you can't run the ball with any type of success and you play these close football games. You have to rely on your passing game, and interceptions can happen. And that's exactly what happened to – the Vikings and the Lions are just cashing in. I mean, every time the opponents have made a mistake in the fourth quarter, they've cashed it in. So, you know, that's how the Saints won a Super Bowl. They did the exact yep. same, you know, formula. So you're right. Anything can happen once a team kind of gets on this roll where they feel like they have luck in the fourth quarter, whether it's real or, or not. If they believe it, then, you know, crazy things happen. 
And I'm thinking about the Vikings, though. Like, their offense was the only Achilles Achilles heel for them. Like, when they were undefeated, I kept telling people, he was like, hey, man, you know, the Vikings look pretty good. What you think, Kenny? I'm like, not that, not really. Their offense wasn't that good. So I was like, it might come back to hurt them at some point. I mean, they're already missing AP. They're already missing Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, they're already hurt in that sense. I mean, the defense looks fine. But if your offense can't get it going and your defense is playing all those possessions, it really doesn't mean too much once the other team can get get across you once they get it going, you know. Right, right. And that transition, that point transitions right into the, the main event of the afternoon as far as uh, I guess both of us are concerned. As the Cowboys uh, basically have one more possession than the Redskins did and uh, held on to win 31-26 um, in the marquee matchup on Thanksgiving. Um, just comes down to basically – the Redskins stopping them in the first quarter in the first half and not cashing in in the red zone. They missed two field goals. They kicked two field goals. That's basically 14 points left on the field um, that, you know, you can't have if you're going to play the Cowboys at this point with the way that Dallas is employing their offense, which is, you know, try to make as many yards as we can on first and second down. If it's third and short, we're going to run. And if it's third and medium, we'll try to pick it up somehow with that doing one, one read and then, you know, breaking off into the, you know, flats and running and trying to create something. So what was your assessment of your Cowboys? And uh, were you nervous there when the Redskins kept going up and down the field <laughs> at the point where you understood they couldn't stop them? But I'll talk about kind of their thinking, kind of where they messed up once you're done. Well, yeah, I was a little worried, but here was the thing I kept thinking to myself. Well, I know the red, I know the red zone efficiency for the Redskins, they're one of the worst in the league in that. Because every time they kept getting down there, it was either they didn't get the pass on third down, they missed a field goal on fourth down, which was crazy. And it just seemed like they were able to move down the field. But once they got within the 20, it seemed like they just couldn't get in the end zone for the most part. But they did manage. But I have to give it to Jordan Reed. He had a hell of a game. And I can admit that all the way around. He was even hurt and came back out and was still having a great game. I mean, he had 10 receptions. He had 95 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he had a great game, no doubt about it. But the thing that got me on my edge of the seat was when Deshaun Jackson just had acres of space and when he scored that touchdown. I have no idea why the corner thought, let's stop and let me not run with Deshaun Jackson. I mean, come on now. If Deshaun Jackson's got wide over field, he's going to catch it. I mean, Kirk Cousins, that's all he's been doing lately. He's just been throwing the ball deep, and Jackson happened to be open, and that almost made the deal breaker right there. But Cowboys ended up finishing it, so it it was a it was you know a happy good luck moment, but it was a little worrying at the same time. Right. Um, for the Redskins' point of view, another game where, like you said, the red zone was their biggest enemy. They you know can move the ball from twenty to twenty with no problem. I think for me, sometimes they aren't aggressive enough at like the twenty-five or the you know the thirty. Try to score from there, you know, a little bit outside of the red zone. And in this game, we wasted some like a, a possession. The first uh, drive we get into the red zone, we line up in the Wildcat, and it made me cuss in front of my mama. <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to declare right then that after the first drive, I actually spoke out to myself. I said, you know what? I can't even be talking like – I can't even have y'all playing like this because I can't even curse. I'm sitting here watching the game with my mama. And then they're going to come out in the first, you know, red zone uh, drive and come out in the Wildcat. And, of course, that loses a yard. And so, you know, you're already behind the sticks and so you kick a field goal. But I think a lot of people are going to say, well, why did he go for the 55-yard field goal? Yeah, that was a little bit questionable, but the kicker has been pretty reliable so far. I think a lot of people don't understand the onside kick. Onside kick was great if he tries to disguise it and not make right. it look like an onside kick, but he made it so obvious. So 
that was another possession where Dallas had half the field and they, you know, made us pay with the touchdown. So I, I think that uh, Jay Gruden was thinking the right way because I actually put on Twitter, I said, if the Redskins score rather quickly here, he's going to have to think about maybe trying to sneak an onside kick because it's not like we're going to get a turnover to get an extra possession. We're going to have to steal one somehow. So I didn't have a problem with it. Just don't make it so obvious. And Dallas did they, what they need to do at the end. Their defense was out there to try to make one stop and, as is the history with the Redskins, it's never going to happen if we're down and we need the ball and Dallas has four minutes to go and try to hold them to, you know, a stop on third down. They got two conversions and that was a game. So congratulations to Dallas. They're using a simple <laughs> formula to make everybody scratch their head. Like, how do we lose to them? But it's so simple that, you know, is making very complex thinking people scratch their heads and they can ride it all the way to possibly Seattle. I think Seattle may be the team that, their defense is just so vaunted and so ruthless that if you have something very simple, it's not going to work to do long against them. So what do you think about your matchup if you get all the way to the NFC Championship game against Seattle with Dak as your quarterback? I mean, there's a lot of pressure that's going to be on Dak Prescott, obviously. I mean, Seattle is a very, very talented team. That's the one team a lot of people think we're gonna, likely going to end up matching up with in the playoffs. But I think it's going to take – a lot of the, I think it's going to take a lot of the defense to take out a lot of those mistakes that we've seen on um, Thursday night. I mean, there was plays where I'm like, man, you just keep letting them get down the field. Like, this can't happen against Seattle because Seattle is going to score. They're going to score. And, I mean, if they can score and they can outscore you, it's going to be over with, plain and simple. I mean, obviously, but I think Seattle's going to be a difficult matchup for the Cowboys, but I, I would hope that we can finish. But it's going to take some will. And that offense, I think, Probably is going to have to do just a little bit more with your quarterback only throwing 195 yards. I mean, it's been a lot of dink and dunk passes with Dak Prescott. He's not really a quarterback that's just been all deep ball passes all, all game long. So, I mean, if we face up against Seattle, it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think it'll be a dogfight for sure. I think it'll be a pretty close game. It might come down to a field goal. Yeah, the uh, Redskins and the Ravens have kind of stumbled upon the formula as you try to shut down – Zeke, as much as you can on first and second down, limit him. If you can stop him behind the line on first down, that's a plus. And maybe stop the screen pass or the draw on second down to get him into third and nine, ten, or teens, and then try to bring whatever pressure that you have and try to confuse him or, you know, make him throw quick underneath and tackle your men, you know, for six or seven yards. That's kind right. of a formula to, to stopping them because, you know, he's not, like you said, doing too many things more than a one or two read and then getting out of there. Um, I thought the Redskins also had a bad defensive game plan by not blitzing up the middle. Um, they were trying to come from the outside, and I always feel if a quarterback can run, you never want to blitz up on the outside because you give them right. another way to go. If you come up the middle, you can at least hopefully freeze them for a second where he has to decide which side to go to, and your guys can close in on him. But, yeah, that wasn't the scheme that they used. So moving on to the later game, uh, most people probably saw the highlights of this game unless you're a Steelers <laughs> or Colts fan. As the Idis would have officially caught up to you, um, the Steelers demolished the coach twenty-eight to seven. Uh, three touchdown passes from big two uh, from Big Ben to Antonio Brown. Uh, the fourth touchdown was um, our man Le'Veon Bell scooting and scatting, doing what he does. Um, Tolzien was a starter for the Colts. Um, Andrew Luck was out underneath the pr- concussion protocol, as they had a short week to get ready for this game. So you know the Steelers are pretty good at home. They're actually very good at home. So it's kind of hard to really say are they back or not. You know, you kind of want to see them go on the road 
against a pretty decent team and see how they fare. Their passing game doesn't seem to be the same on the road as it does at home. So Steelers still have a lot of question marks. Is there anything that you see from the Steelers? I mean, their defense seemed to get back on track, but that seemed to be more of, you know, the Scott Tolzien at quarterback, um, you know, more than maybe the Steelers finding some some answers. Uh, what, what was your major takeaways from this game, Kenneth? Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking about the Steelers' defense. I mean, you're going at a quarterback that I don't think has probably snapped the ball since <laughs> just maybe preseason. I mean, I really don't even watch preseason, so really couldn't even say that part. But, I mean, you got a quarterback that really ha- hasn't started a game, doesn't probably really doesn't know the offense that well. You know, he had a, barely a week to prepare for this game. So I don't really – I'm not saying the Steelers' defense was, like, trash or anything or don't give them any credit. It's just the team that they played, and, I mean, it just seemed inevitable. I thought it was going to be a game where the Steelers shut them out at this point because I didn't think the Colts were going to score. I mean, they've been a struggling team as it is, even with Andrew Luck, who used to be what a lot of Redskins fans wanted in D.C. But you see what you got now? You might not have one of them. But at the same time, I just think the Steelers – I mean, offense-wise, Antonio Brown is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it's it's hard to stop him, clearly. I mean – <laughs> he's just a great wide receiver. I don't even know what else to say about him, honestly. He's he's just great, point blank, period. So, I mean, the Steelers, I think that going towards maybe getting a wild card, we'll just have to see how they turn out. Right. I'm glad uh, Antonio Brown and Big Ben decided to show up together in the same game this week as I'm playing the uh, undefeated uh, Captain America team, uh, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the producers, Classic and Mail. And it <laughs> looks like we're on our way to maybe hopefully knocking them off. So we'll see what happens uh starting with this week, the rest of the games this week. But I got a pretty good lead, so, you know, I'm doing the whole league a favor by trying to put a loss on them here coming down the stretch. But going into week 12, we've got some matchups worth watching. We've got Atlanta versus the Cardinals, which would be pretty good. We've also got in the late games, which probably have the best matchups. We've got the Seahawks versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who find themselves at 5-5 five and five in the middle of the playoff race. we got the Panthers going out to Oakland to play the Raiders. In the Sunday night game, we've got Kansas City at Denver. And then it probably a loser leaves town match in the NFC wildcard chase. We've got Green Bay versus Philadelphia. So, Ken, what matchup are you looking forward to this weekend checking out since the Redskins and Cowboys have played and this will be a stress-free Sunday for you? Yeah, you're right. You know, I can actually relax this Sunday. I can just watch whatever I want, you know, see what I want. But um, <laughs> I think I also, besides that Carolina-Oakland game, for some reason, I always like watching the Patriots and the Jets. It's always a gritty game for some reason. No matter how bad the Jets are and no matter how good the Patriots are, for some reason, the one game of the year the Jets want to show up and give them a game, that'll be it. It'll be interesting to see them win. I'd be surprised. I mean, they're coming in at 3-7. and seven, You know, the Patriots are just rolling right now at 8-2. and two, So we'll have to see about that one. But the reason why I say Oakland and Carolina for the most part is because of Derek Carr. I've been watching a little bit of Oakland this season. But I just want to see how he does against the Panthers and Cam Newton this year. Right. I had the same feeling. I, I'm looking forward to the Raiders and Panthers as well. I think that that game is going to be really um, intriguing. It's going to be a, basically a, a show-me game for the Raiders because, you know, that's going to be a really stout defense, even without Luke Keekley, um, who's going to be in the concussion protocol as well this week. And for the Panthers, it's basically a, a do-or-die game. I mean, you can't – basically in the NFC this year, it looks like, you know, you're going to have to stay within six losses to – really have a shot at a wild card. So, you know, they can't get too many more losses piled up. So they're really going to have to come in and show up this week. And I'm also looking forward to watching the Sunday night game between Kansas City and Denver uh, because, you know, these two teams are right behind the Broncos. And it's going to probably, you know, see which team has a better quarterback. Um, you know, is Trevor Simeon better than Alex Smith? And that'll probably figure out who will get the wild card because I think that, you know, right now the Raiders look like they're going to win that division. 
So I'm looking forward to watching Kansas City and Denver. Right. Like you said about the NFC South, it's just so it's such a weird division. It seems like every year it comes down to this. I mean, you look at the Falcons, they're six and four. Tampa Bay's five and five. The Saints are four and six. The Panthers are four and six. And it's crazy that they all actually still legitimately have a shot at the playoffs. It is crazy. Yeah, they flipped around and, and became the old NFC East. Right, right, right. <laughs> the NFC East this year, everybody, everybody is at 500 at least, and that's crazy. <laughs> right. So, you know, the football season is coming into the last quarter. Um, we get here, you know, Thanksgiving coming into December. So injuries, who is actually on the field is really starting to matter in a lot of these games as we're starting to see more of the stars starting to, you know, get injured and having to miss time in some of these cr- crucial weeks. So the wild card race will definitely be interesting. At this point, we just want everybody to know that you are listening to Know the Score, and Know the Score this week is being sponsored by Amazon. Cyber Monday is coming up this Monday, so you guys need to hop on to Amazon. But before you do that, go through the website, www.cspn.us. Go down to the Help Keep Our Podcast Free link on the page. Click on Amazon. Do your Cyber Monday shopping as you normally would. Buy those electronics, clothes, you know, uh, perfumes, all those early Christmas gifts that you guys need to get, or those deals or things that you've been looking for. Give some of that money back to CSPN. Keep the podcast here and know the score and all the podcasts on the CSPN free. So please visit Amazon.com through CSPN.us to help keep the podcast free and enjoy your holiday shopping. So we're going to move into another staple of the holidays, and that's the start of college basketball. Yes, sir. We have the um, you know, the preseason tournaments are starting, the NIT, the Maui Invitational. The uh, one that I like the most because it's played in the ballroom, the uh, Atlantis uh, Classic, I think is what they call it or something. Yeah, the Battle for Atlantis. Atlantis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it because it's played in a, in a ballroom, a casino. So, uh, you know, we had marquee matchups started last week as we had Kentucky take on Michigan State, and we also had Duke and Kansas. Uh, Kentucky just obliterated Michigan State. Um, it's, it basically told the story for Michigan State's early <laughs> season so far as they cannot score the basketball. Uh, Tom Enzo is going to have to really put on his hard hat and go to work to mold this team into being a normal Michigan State contender. But that's probably the best for him. His team will fall out of the limelight a little bit, and he can kind of go in the lab and do what he needs to do. And by the end of the season, they'll probably be a threat again. Um, the game of the night was, of course, Duke and Kansas. Duke, without uh, the, uh, their three top freshmen who were all injured, uh, we'll come back to that point in a minute. But uh, Frank Mason the third hit a game-winning jumper to uh, quell Duke's comeback as uh, Kansas won seventy-seven to seventy-five. Uh, did you get a chance to see this game, Keith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the game. It was pretty good. I mean, I was expecting a little bit better out that um, Kentucky game, but it just turned out to be terrible. <laughs> so I was like, man, I hope this next game is going to be pretty good with Duke. And it actually turned out to be pretty cool. I mean, that jump – I mean, the game winner by Frank Mason was crazy. I was just like, man, college basketball is back. I was excited. It wasn't even my team. I was just really excited for good games. I mean, that's what you really look forward to in college basketball. And I'm one of those guys that like college and pro. I watch both all season long from the start to the end. So it was pretty exciting to see Kansas early and see Duke, see what they can do with what they have, you know, missing their three top freshmen. I know that's going to hurt them in the early goings of the season and, you know, looking – looking towards the, the actual tournament and everything. So we're going to have to see what Duke is going to be able to do. And at this point, I feel like North Carolina might just run away with the ACC, might just do it. Right. We'll talk about uh, Duke's freshmen, uh, Marcus Bolden, Harry Giles, Jason Tatum. They're all suffering from different injuries. Marcus Bolden has a lower leg injury. Harry Giles uh, had arthroscopic knee surgery after his ACL surgery that he had uh, last fall. 
and then Jason Tatum uh, sprained his foot. In developing news, they were all in uniform and took part in the layup line in the pregame uh, of Duke's last game right here before the holiday. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday night. So they may be all a little bit closer to getting back together and, uh, you know, getting on the court and adding their unique talents to this Duke team, which has been projected to be, you know, the number one overall team in the country. So kind of what do you think that they're going to add to this team if they're going to come back healthy? I mean, you know, these kids are all projected to be first round picks in the NBA draft. So, you know, I know Coach K is going to try to be as careful as he can with them to protect them for what they have later on in their futures, but, you know, he also kind of wants to win a national championship too. So what's the slippery slope that Coach K is going to have to kind of navigate to keep these three guys healthy enough to be drafted and good enough to help him win a championship? That is going to be a difficult thing for Coach K, but at the same time, of course, you want to really watch their health because they are some extremely talented players. Giles is probably my favorite one. I've been watching him since he was in high school. I think he's a massive talent. I think he'll probably be a top 10 pick, no doubt about it, in the NBA. But I think you want to just be really careful because their injuries aren't just anything like, oh, somebody got a sprained ankle. You know, their injuries are pretty serious from a knee injury to a, to an, a, re, a redone ACL. I mean, I think you have to just, if you can get them back in, do it at a slow rate and also, you know, limit their time. Like how they're doing with Embiid with the 76ers right now in the pros. You know, how they're taking, taking their time with him because they don't want to take that risk and get them hurt again. And then they're sitting there looking like they can't even go to the draft because of this. I mean, that sucks. So I think they're going to have to just take their time with these players. And if it's not this year, it's not meant to be for them to make it, make it to the national title, so be it. Because if you can get a whole team back again next year and you get them all healthy, they definitely can make a run for it. That's what I think. All right. All right. Now, you mentioned North Carolina earlier. North Carolina did win the Maui Invitational as they got a 20-point victory over Wisconsin. Um, this is the fourth time that they have won the Maui Invitational, and they made it to the Final Four the prior three times that they have won the Maui Invitational, so this bodes well to maybe a repeat uh, performance for North Carolina, at least back to the Final Four. Um, as a Carolina fan, it's been really good to see them come out and play strong and, and look good in these games, uh, trying to erase the memory of the last time we saw them play a meaningful basketball game in the <laughs> National Championship. Uh, so, you know, so far so good, as you said, you know, with Duke's injuries and the way that Carolina's come out of the gate, it makes them, you know, look more like they may be uh, the favorite in the early season now to win the ACC, just depending on you know, like you said, how Duke can integrate their freshmen, how much they play, um, and how much impact they can have in whatever limited role they may have. And, of course, it wouldn't be the early season of college basketball without a major upset. And the Bulls are fell on Indiana. As they went on the road to Little Fort Wayne, and the strange thing happened. They got beat in overtime. And so uh, Tom Crean um, is not looking as good as he once did. As, you know, they're taking this early season loss. They're a top five team projected to be a real threat for a Final Four again this year. So just kind of who are you looking at outside of, you know, Indiana, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, outside of that top kind of six, eight teams, is there anybody else that you would say put on your radar as we go later into this college basketball season? Well, it's some talented teams, no doubt about it. The Final Four, I don't know if I can even make my judgments just yet. I usually don't pick them out until we get to conference play. And then once you – because once you get out of out of conference and you're in your conference, you can see how well everybody's, you know, matching together. Everybody's used to playing with each other. Because these early games, a lot of times what happens, you know, you got teams that aren't necessarily truly ready. They're getting used to the, all the new players, this, that, and the third. Like, for example, Georgetown. I mean, they look really bad <laughs> in, this past, in this past tournaments they were in. They look pretty bad. But 
maybe Virginia. Virginia's ranked seventh. They have a pretty good team. I watched a little bit of them play. Maybe maybe one got one team out the Pac-12. Arizona might make it to the Final Four. We'll see how everything plays out. I mean, of course, you know, Michigan State was looking looking like everybody was like, yeah, they should be pretty good. But now they're sitting at three and three. So we don't know what's going to happen with them. Maybe they'll be that surprise team that comes out the blue once we get down to March. So we'll see once the season actually gets gets going. Who do you think might um, get to the Final Four that's in the top 25 right now? Um, of course, I think Kentucky is definitely going to be there. I really like what I saw. I thought Oregon, but they kind of – they kind of let me down here. This <laughs> They're a little iffy to me. When they lost to Baylor, I was like, man. <laughs> right. Baylor came out and played. I can't even right. – that. they played. And I, I think Louisville. I think Louisville is just one of those teams where they're going to get in one of these brackets against some teams who can't shoot, and their defense is going to be good enough for them to sneak in. And the fourth team is always – I think it's always the team I pick for the wild card. It's just I leave that spot open for just the madness. That's actually what I label it when I start going into my uh, pre-bracket thing. I go lock, lock, <laughs> like semi upset, and then I put and I just label one uh, bracket madness, and then I just kind of go from there. So, um, if, just to let people know, if y'all want to get much more in depth into college basketball, if you guys are really super duper fans, um, get into the Seconds to Madness podcast with uh, Russell H. Hainline and our man K. Bash from the Hot Fire Starter podcast. Um, they watch a lot of basketball, and they can tell you a lot about a lot of different players on a lot of different teams. So, yeah, you guys are really college basketball junkies. Get into those guys, and uh, they'll have you ready to go, especially if you like to uh, wager on the games, make them a little bit more interesting. Our man Russell always has a couple of good picture too, <laughs> for those people who like to make the games a little bit more interesting. But just to remind people, you are listening to Know the Score. You can find us on the Internet at our Twitter handle, at KTSPod. You can also find us directly on the internet at nothescore.cspn.us. We're going to move into our final topic here, the NBA. It was an epic night for Kevin Love as he scored 34 points in the first quarter against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Twitter was going ablaze as Kevin Love was hitting three-pointer after three-pointer. I think he hit his first eight threes. Uh, his finishing line, uh, stat line for the first quarter was 11 out of 14 field goals, eight for 10 from three, four out of four from the free throw line. So just kind of, as you saw this eruption going on, as fortunately it wasn't on uh, NBA TV or anything like that. So it was just kind of Twitter keeping everybody abreast. That's the way that I was keeping up with it. Uh, what was your thoughts about, you know, Kevin Love all of a sudden, you know, capitalizing off that? you know, moving his feet and keeping Steph Curry in front of him from the finals. Man, I was in the car. I was coming back home, and I was on Twitter, and I look on my phone and said, Kevin Love got 34 in the first. I said, what? <laughs> I was hoping that game was on TV myself, but I was quite surprised. And I, and I was surprised that he only finished with 34. I thought he was going to go for 50, honestly. But, you know, the, the Cavaliers have enough scoring power for him to sit the rest of the half, to be honest with you. If you got a man scoring 34 in the first quarter, I mean, he's only one of three to do that recently besides uh, Clay Thompson who had 37 in one quarter. I think that was uh, last year or the year before that. And uh, Carmelo Anthony did it at one point. So, I mean, that's pretty interesting to see how the team is more than likely to come out first in the East to have a game like that. So, I mean, the Cavaliers are, seem like the front runners for the East. And I think that Kevin Love's going to be even in better shape this year because a lot of people thought that they need to trade him. And I said, nah, you guys are crazy. I think he should be that guy for the team, in my opinion. Um, as Chris Bosch has stated, and I have stated as well, the power forward, whoever plays on LeBron James's team, is the person who has to adjust their game the most. And you have to be able to space the floor and make those three-point shots 
to be effective because you have to give LeBron the space that those guys normally like to use to drive and, and do the things that LeBron does. So I think that Kevin Love has just kind of finally found his role. You know, he's been searching and searching. Where does he fit? Where does he fit? Well, you're kind of like a stretch four. You know, you're going to get your share of open three-pointers. And if LeBron, you know, takes a defense with him and then you cut back to the basket, more than likely you're going to get your share of layups and and dunk just off of, you know, pure movement basketball. So uh, like Chris Boss said, you know, the biggest adjustment comes from the power forward. And it seems like Kevin Love has made it, that adjustment. And Cleveland's the big dog right now, as, you know, leads me into my next question. Um, who's the second best team in the East? Because, I mean, it looks like they're fighting to just lose to Cleveland and, you know, anywhere from <laughs> four to six games. But we've got Toronto at 10 and six right now, Boston at nine and seven, Chicago at 10 and six, Atlanta at 10 and six. Out of those four, who would you say has got the best chance to stay the second best team in the East? I'd probably say Toronto. I probably I think they're going to try and make an attempt to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. It seems like they're pushing for it. I mean, DeMar DeRozan right now is playing at an extremely high level, but I don't think a guy is going to sit there and shoot 60% from mid-range all season long. I feel like that's an early season type of deal. I think DeRozan is probably going to regress to some degree, not to the point where it's like this guy can't shoot anymore. But I think Toronto probably has the best shot at this point, as long as they stay healthy. And I'll probably give a second to the Hawks. I, I always like the way they play. A lot of people said when they got when they got up to the Eastern Conference Finals and they played uh, the Cavaliers a year ago, uh, two years ago, people thought that oh man, it was fluke. I like the way they coach. I like the way the team is coached. I like the way they move the ball. And maybe Dwight Howard might be that thing they need to get past the Cavaliers. If they can get there, maybe we don't know yet. I like him and Paul Millsap together on the floor. I didn't know how it was going to work, but it seems like it's done pretty well so far. How about you? It seems to me like Chicago. I watched them the last like couple of times they've been on TV, and it seems like they kind of figured their lineup out a little bit better, and, and they've got veterans. And when it comes down to a lot of these games, you're going to play close games. The veteran superstars get the calls, so that matters when you you know trying to play for positioning. I thought that Boston would have taken a little bit bigger step, but it looks like they're suffering from being a team that people are looking for now. Um, you know, crowds come out to see them, see Isaiah Thomas um, and see Jalen Brown. And, and and so I think that they're kind of suffering from teams getting up to play them this year. So I think in between Chicago and Boston, like I said, I think Toronto is going to maybe fall back to earth a little bit and maybe finish third. And it actually might be a better draw for them because you want to avoid Cleveland as long as you can. If you're gonna, you know, be in the draw to to have to play them, you kind of want to get them as as far out as you can. Maybe win a series before you have to play them. Trying to get in the middle of playing in the playoffs, you don't want to try to get them, you know, at the very end either. Though where they're at their absolute best, getting ready to, you know, go play in the finals too. So if you can kind of get them in that middle series where they may have an injury or may not be as good as they are, so. Now, my next uh, little thing about the NBA that I want to get to is none other than the video of Zach Levine doing the 360 dunk from the free throw line. Um, I, I guess this was practice for the um, dunk contest, but um, it definitely set the internet on fire. Um, my initial thoughts are if you can pull that out and actually, you know, do it actually from the free throw line and not just a half a step over, yeah, if you set as the first dunk, they can just send everybody home because there's nothing that's going to be able to top that. Um, is Zach Levine single-handedly going to bring dunking back in 2016 to 17? Yeah. Oh, man. I watched that video about like four or five times. He did a 360 from the free throw line. 
that's what got me. And I'm just like, man, what is he going to do for the dunk contest? Because last year's dunk contest was probably one of the better ones I've seen in a while. Because, I mean, if you look at the – I say probably the past four or five years, it really hasn't been such the main event. I mean, the three-point contest has been more interesting to me at some points. But last year, Zach Levine showed out and Aaron Gordon, who a lot of people thought got snubbed. I, I'm kind of on that side, but I like Zach Levine's dunk and I like Aaron Gordon's dunk. So that was up to the people to vote for that one. But I think he might just win it back-to-back. Back, but I don't know what he's going to necessarily do. He, he might do something crazy. We don't know just yet. When All-Star Weekend comes around, we'll see what he can do. Um, who would you consider to be uh, some of the best in-game dunkers right now? I mean, he's got some pretty nice in-game dunks. Um, of course, um, like you said, Gordon, um, he does some nasty in-game dunks. Who do you like right now as far as an in-game dunker in the NBA? Do you see the dunk with Levine on Alex Lando? That yes. was that, that was crazy. <laughs> he said that man packing. But I would love to see Russell Westbrook because, I mean, that dude – when he dunks, it's like he's angry at the whole world. It is just absolutely emphatic every single time he dunks. So it would be cool to see him do it. I don't know if he really would want to, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I think Russell's past his his dunk contest stage of trying to become a, a household name. Right. I think usually the dunk contest is usually what propels you from being, you know, a splash rookie or second-year player into being that household name. So um, it's kind of like the step up to – semi-superstardom or superstardom. So, yeah, we'll see who enters it. But, yeah, they're definitely going to have to uh, set their game up to follow with Zach Levine, but out on the internet this week. Anybody for you, for, as far as a um, young dunker right now in the league? <laughs> um, I think it, the young boy Jalen Brown got LeBron, and he's gotten a couple of other guys so far this year. Uh, so he's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Crowder from Boston as well oh, okay. is, a, is a very good uh, in-game dunker that I like to, that I like to check out. I just want the amp of last year's dunk contest to get into another level because I had so much fun watching that. It was great. Right. It definitely brought people back to the days of uh, Dominique and Jordan. And if they can come back and have a rematch that's just as good and just as epic, it'll definitely, you know, be the best two years, three years of the dunk contest that we've had in recent times. And it's good to see because, you know, everybody still likes to see, you know, the dunk contest be the main jewel of the All-Star Weekend. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And that's one of he's usually one of my favorite events. So maybe Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon might take it back to Nate Robinson versus Dwight Howard. They might just do it. We'll have to see. <laughs> but again, the All-Star Contest, she'll be uh, must-see TV this year as we get looking to these two young dunkers and uh, Zach Levine is at the head of the class. I just want to remind everybody that this is another score once again. And we are brought to you by the CSPN Network. And you can visit us at notherscore.cspn.us. Follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. And also follow us and keep the conversations going by using the hashtag KTSPod. Um, now it's time for us to get into our poll results for last week. As we have, of course, the nominees for Play of the Week, Rap the Pine, and Score of the Week. We have to give away the winners of the awards. Our last week, the award winner for Player of the Week was that's that Prescott as he sized up the Steelers Blitz and fires a 50-yard touchdown strike to Des Bryant. Our Rod the Pine winner for last week, Stephen A. Smith for ranting on Kyler Kaepernick not voting, calling him a hypocrite. And we had a tie with Sage Steele for her missing the point on Mike Evans' national anthem protest as they both got 50% of the vote. And our score of the week was 
the number four. And that's the number of triple doubles for Russell Westbrook at that point in the season last week as he's increased his number by two more uh, this week to have six so far on the season as it is uh, Russ against the world as um, Jeremy and Tyler pronounced last week on the score. So we move into our awards for this week. We're going to give out our first nominee for play of the week, a single play on the field that uh, you thought was the play of the week. So, Kenneth, I'll start with you. Um, I noticed you had one in there. I actually like seven championships for Jimmy Johnson. He made a feat that probably nobody thought it was ever going to be done again because Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty are the only to do so. And I think that was probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And matter of fact, that chase race was probably one of the best I've seen in quite some time. Right. Now, we can't have you uh, be on the show and not talk a little bit of Red Black Red Neckery as uh, you mentioned. <laughs> the chase race came down to, uh, of course, the last four drivers, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Carl Edwards and Joey Logano. They're only four drivers on the track who could win the championship. Uh, Carl Edwards looked like he was going to wrap it up. Him and uh, Logano got a restart at the end of the race. They took each other out. And uh, Jimmy Johnson, who had been struggling, kind of being the tortoise, he was behind you know, the other three drivers most of the day, ended up being the one that won in the end. And uh, just spectacular his history. Um, one of the best to ever strap on a helmet and participate in NASCAR, and especially in this era where the competition is just so tight, where, you know, back in the days of Richard Petty, it was Richard Petty and maybe two other people who could win. Uh, during Dale Earnhardt's era, it was Dale Earnhardt and maybe five to seven people who could win. But legitimately now, there's 15 to, tw- you know, 18 people who could probably win a race if things fall right. And so for him to pull this off, it's just amazing. So that's a good nominee right there. Um, I'm going to go with two because I don't like Duke. So Frank Mason's <laughs> game winner. Is definitely going to be one. And my other one is going to be uh, Jordan Reed's one-handed uh, catch down the sideline against the Cowboys. Um, as you say, coming back from having a great three uh, separated shoulder um, to come back in that game and, and play and, and leave it all out on the field. And yeah, so Jordan Reed definitely that one-handed catch. Spectacular. Our next award nominee is going to go to Brad DePine, uh, the person who has done the most to hurt his or her standing in the sports world and needs to have a seat. Again, again, I'll start with you. Who would you like to ride the pond? Um, you know what? I'm going to say this, but um, I'm going to go ahead and say the Kirk Cousin haters, actually. He's not that bad. He's actually not that bad. He's a pretty good quarterback. If you don't think so, you probably just don't like the Redskins, and you probably have never liked a Redskins quarterback. He's probably one of the better ones I've actually seen in the past couple of years. I'll give him that. That means a lot coming from a Cowboys fan. I'll take it. <laughs> Okay, so it's a lot easier to say that after you won two games against us this year, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that makes it a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I'm going to go with two because, you know, it's just one of those weeks. First of all, the NFL kickers. Um, they missed 12 extra points this past weekend, which is a record by far. Um, the new uh, extra point distance has created havoc in these field goal games. Uh, in these football games, and it's making us have to do some weird math because, you know, teams are, of course, going for two and not making it. And so we're getting weird things like 12s and, you know, 18s up there. And Tie games. Really, <laughs> yeah, that's not really the numbers we're used to seeing uh, for football scores. And uh, probably my, my other nominee would just be the University of Texas for how it's handled the uh, Charlie Strong uh, situation. Uh, basically, he had a once-in-a-lifetime devastating loss to Kansas, and pretty much everybody knew, you know, it was over for him right there, but they left him twisting in the, in the wind this week and basically put his uh, career at Texas on the balance of the game that happened against TCU on Friday, and Texas went out and got blown out at home, and 
So, you know, just here recently they've announced that they've officially fired him. Could have done it last week and spared him some of, you know, the embarrassment of having to go through that bad loss yesterday and the million hundred shots of him on the sideline and things like that. So I didn't like the way the University of Texas handled their situation with Charlie Strong. Um, how do you feel about Charlie Strong? I know you're a Florida, a University of Florida fan when it comes to football. Charlie Strong got his start um, coaching defense there. Um, kind of what were your thoughts on the outside looking into Texas and Charlie Strong? I was hoping he was going to get another shot. But like you said, you know, not too long ago, he just got fired. So, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the end for Charlie Strong necessarily. He might find a job somewhere else. I don't know who necessarily wants him. But like you said, they could have just went ahead and fired him instead of him going through that game last night. I mean, it could have just it could have been a little bit. It could have been done a little bit better. Like you said, I think they should just let him go when they were kept saying thinking about it. We're thinking about it. Everybody who's a college football fan knew that was probably going to happen. And it has happened now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once he lost to Kansas, I just basically put on Twitter, yeah, he need to just go ahead and, <laughs> and and pack his office up because, I mean, he can't you can't survive that. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, lose a close game and a rivalry game or something, but to lose What's to a team that, <laughs> yeah, that, that you've never lost to in the history of your program, yeah, yeah. And you're, you can't be, like, on the, on the edge of losing and then have, like, a, a historic loss. That's just not going to work. Right. It's like if Nick Saban lost to Kentucky four years in a row. People will be looking at him like he's nuts. Kentucky's almost like Kansas when it comes to football. Both those schools have never been fo- historically football school. They've always been basketball school. And their football programs aren't the greatest in the world. We all know that. Right. So our last nominee will be for score of the week. A single number or statistic that is outstanding. It can be current or historic. So Kenneth, what would you like to nominate for this week's score of the week? I'm going to go with number 10, the franchise winning streak for the Cowboys. And I'm also going to go with 34 for Kevin Love, for Kevin Love's points in the first quarter because both of those things are pretty amazing, even though I'm not a Cavaliers fan, but that was pretty cool to see. Right, right. I'm going to go with uh, seven, the number of NASCAR championships won by Jimmy Johnson. Uh, okay. Some, and just the rarest of air um, with, you know, anybody who's won championships in any sport, you know, as a matter of hockey, basketball, football. So to have that win- that many championships is just amazing. So that's what I like to nominate this week for Score of the Week. And again, we encourage everybody to please vote. Follow us on our Twitter account at KTSPod so you can guys can vote on the polls. We tweet so we do not have ties. We do not like ties here at Nether Score. So make sure you guys vote, vote, and vote often so we do not have ties. At this point in the show, Kenneth, I'll just open it up to you if you want to talk about something that we didn't get a chance to talk about that went down this week in sports or if there's anything you want to promote let people know about your podcast um, I know that NASCAR season just wrapped up but you know next season will be here before we know it Daytona 500 will be back around in February so you know let the people know where they can find you on that and uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about or promote um I think we talked about just about everything I actually wanted to talk about this week when I looked at the whole thing and you sent it to me I was like man this is everything I've watched this week so it's not like I have to go re-watch anything it was it was everything I was uh keeping up with but uh, if you guys want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Front Row Kenny, a.k.a. Kenneth Lee. And I also have a NASCAR podcast, which will be redone and underway again during the off season. I'll, I'll put it on YouTube very soon. And you can follow the provisional podcast on SoundCloud. And that's really about it. I mean, I'm just a guy that likes sports. I'm a big NASCAR fan. And my off season, I don't really have an off season. I watch sports all year long. That's really all I watch. So if you give me a follow on Twitter. Don't just expect to see NASCAR. I do follow NBA, college basketball. Well, some hockey, soccer, and yeah, that's, this was me. <laughs> I don't really like to talk about myself that much. <laughs> that makes any sense. 
Uh, that's perfect, man. That's perfect. Thank you for joining us here today on another score. Um, my uh, little parting shot will be to all basketball fans. If you like to watch basketball, if you love basketball, if you like to watch it on TV as many times a week as you can, learn to watch it without watching the basketball, and you will see so many great things open up as to so many times how Kevin Durant gets wide open for these dunks and these passes that Stephen Curry threads through the needle last night against the Lakers. It's just amazing. You can keep your eyes off the basketball. You'll see so much more of the game, um, especially open up to you to see how, you know, Porzingis can be seven feet tall and have reactions to, you know, block two dunks right at the rim. It's just amazing. So that would be my uh, pro tip to all basketball fans out there. Try, not, try, try to watch the game without watching the ball. So for my guest, Front Row Kenny, I'm Don DeLorente. And I'm letting everybody know now you know the score.